0: The year is 1197, and the long night has begun. When darkness falls, monsters walk the streets and alleys of the cities, congregating to plot and scheme. Fearing fire, the cross, and the lupines of the wild, the elder Canaanites nonetheless seek to guide and control human civilization through centuries-old plots, while the younger vampires scrabble for power, influence, and prestige. Welcome to the world of Dark Ages. Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to episode 19 of the World of Dark Ages podcast. My name is
1: Jacob. And I'm Peter.
0: So, what have you been up to lately?
1: Um, nothing much, really. It's been uh, uh, quite busy at work, and uh, I've been spending my spare time just uh, trying to either enjoy the weather or avoiding it, because uh, just a couple of days ago we got this like flash flood rains, and, and there was a bit of... of uh, problems, not not around where I live, but uh, further down south where they had like roads actually flooding and stuff like that. So that was quite interesting. Um, mm,
0: yeah, well, we've had rain, lots of rain, lots, lots, lots of rain, and then yesterday sunny, and today it's, it's looking like a summer day. It's it's one of those days where you just want to put on light clothes and take a long walk, which is incidentally what I'm going to do not long after we've recorded this, because I'm going to walk to where my wife works, which is about a half an hour walk, and, and pick her up, which is going to be really nice, because it's a walk through a park and everything. Oh. So... Uh, that's that's gonna be that's gonna be really nice, but for now I think we should we should get into the dark ages.
1: <laughs> yeah, we should. Well we what we should do at some point is is take that walk uh, together uh, when when, oh, yeah. uh, when the plague allows it. But yeah, let's yeah. let's go back in time to where knights were noble and steeds were apparently ghouled a lot.
0: <laughs> yep. Uh, the book we're taking a look at today is The Ashen Knight, written by Robert Barrett, Bruce Baugh, Richard Dansky, and Wendy L. Gash, developed by Philip Boole. So, we start with the cover which I find very cool and good for setting the mood. Uh, what do you think of it?
1: Yeah, I think I I like the cover in some ways, uh, but at, at the same time, because it, it depicts this, uh, obviously, a knight with, with a cloak and holding a... Two-handed swords in a fairly awkward grip, it seems. But um, wh- what I like about it is that it's it's fairly simplistic in, or it's it's not the kind of exaggerated fantasy esque, uh, almost Warhammer fantasy battle kind of cover that we, we've encountered in some of the other books. Um, but but on the other hand, uh, it it still has, at least to me, a bit of a fantasy feel to the to the um, character in. Um, uh, on the cover, uh, and I feel that there are actually some uh, pictures in the book that are more um, historically accurate and, and in some ways cooler, so so I'm, I'm a bit baffled that they had this, this kind of fantasy warrior on the cover, especially since in the background you have this, I'm guessing it's supposed to be a mural with, with knights and, and demons fighting and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, a mural that. or tapestry. Yeah, and, and that actually looks... Like the the knights in that uh, in the background are actually cooler, at least for me, than the guy holding the big sword in the foreground.
0: Yeah, I mean, the 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 red lighting and everything it it does catch the eye. It's a very eye-catching cover. Um, And but you're right, you know, he has this either two-handed sword or long sword. Uh, It looks like he's wearing a breastplate, though he might not be. Uh, And if you look at his shoulders, uh, compared to his head and everything, he must be wearing some huge pauldrons. Yeah, yeah that you mention <laughs> which is a bit of a problem. Or he
1: he really has done his workout because yeah, that's some that's some wide shoulders.
0: Yeah, um, his his shield um, it looks like it's it's a a heater shield and it's carried uh, on a guiche, which is kind of nice and a very decorated guiche. You can definitely mm. tell that this guy is is wealthy though. If he is that wealthy he probably should have repaired his shield or yeah. more likely just bought a new one because yeah. it's got some gashes to into it um but other than that you know it, it it catches the eye when we go to the internal art uh i think that it's it's really good most of it is pretty simple but it does a good job of setting the mood for the book in general um you know the depiction of armor I think is really spot on with lots of male and period correct helmets. Uh, the great helms that we see depicted, especially like uh, on the picture that also is on the back cover, these are flat topped rather than the, the sort of what's called the sugar loaf style mm. that came in earlier. We don't have any visors either. The only exception here are the full page, page pictures that mark each chapter. Some of them does have full plates um, in uh, in a few of those pictures, but otherwise, I'm I'm really happy with the armor. As for weapons, we still have long swords, like swords with grips that are long enough to get two hands on. But one thing that annoys me a bit more is that we really only see swords and then a few lances. And knights at this time yeah. they used maces and battle axes as well. So I really would have liked to see. Uh, some of the knights wielding maces and battle axes so we get away from this idea that the the primary weapon for the knight was the sword. but what did you think of the interior? Arts? yeah
1: I, I agree that it uh, overall it, it looks really good and and the armor are uh, usually depicted quite well there, there are some minor thing that uh, things that annoy me like for example on page just let me 102 you you have um, a picture oh, yeah, of, that one yeah you you have a picture of uh, of a knight uh, on on his horse and uh, the knight is wearing yeah this period correct armor like 12th century armor with with one of these great tongues but then his his horse <laughs> uh, has armor uh, like full metal armor including uh, spiraling horns. And and those, I, I think I might have seen the original at least in a picture because uh, you did have horse armor, but this kind of horse armor is from like the, the 16th century and, and probably more for parade or or jousting rather than than the battlefield. So it's it's a bit weird that that the knight has obsolescent or even obsolete armor while his horse has. Uh, n- n- armor that hasn't even been invented yet, so you must really yeah. like this horse. If it- So it's it's just a weird juxtaposition. Um, then when, when it cl- comes to, to clothes and stuff like that, it's, overall it, it looks uh, reasonable and, and fairly good at times. Uh, again, we have this thing that a lot of the, the outfits are more modern than, than time setting, so we do have a lot of things that, that looks more like 14th and 15th century rather than um rather than than the the twelfth or or 13th century uh and then there's there's just one picture on let me see if I can find it um it's on page let me see where the, yeah page 118 uh which is one of the example uh, concept characters like what what you can play and we we get to that further on but. Uh, can can you see if if you can spot what um what what i find is weird on that picture
0: uh i am not entirely certain actually though no no uh, wait wait no no sorry no so, uh, so, I'm, so what, what not we're looking certain. at
1: is is a knight in in armor and he's he's uh, wearing uh uh, Chainmail armor mostly. He, you could make the, the idea that he's wearing some kind of, of coat of plates underneath his surcoat, uh, and and then he has a sword that just looks like a like a wooden sword. The handle is really weird. But if you look at his yeah surcoat, and, and no sword belt. Apparently. Yeah, exactly. He's, he has <laughs> doesn't have a belt. Uh, but but the outfit is in in itself is is rather nice, and the the kind of dagged edges on the surcoat is is very uh, late fourteenth century. Uh, but if, if you look at the the crest on or the coat of arms on his circle, and then you compare it to uh, the the emblem on his shield. Oh yeah, they, they don't match. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> so basically, and we're gonna get into this, but I just wanted to point this out that that heraldry was basically that's that's how you recognize friends from foe on the battlefield, and it's your gang colors, and it's your uniform and um, and, and and you show your allegiance and stuff like that. Uh, and if you were a knight, you you would show off like, look at me, I'm this cool guy winning the battle on this day. So so look at my shield because here's my my emblem, my coat of arms. Uh, and so it really doesn't make any sense for him to have two completely different coats of arms on his shield and on his circle. Uh, no, that is that is true. So but but yeah, that's that's just the <laughs> one of the nitpicks I had. Yeah. And what, one funny
0: thing is, uh, like, one of the very first pi- uh, pictures. It's on page six where you have two guys uh, tilting against each other, jousting against each other. Like the, um, it's it's obviously vampires because you you mm. can see the moon in the sky, the tower and the castle in the background. That is just perfect with the square tower. Um, their armor uh, looks really good. The shields look really good. They m- should probably be wearing full helmets since they're yeah. jousting. But if they're vampires, that's not really a problem. But the funny thing is. Uh, both of them are jousting left-handed.
1: Yeah, they are, and they're also pointing their lances rather downwards, in instead of of uh, like towards the other person's shield or or. Uh, or yeah, the and other they, they they
0: seem yeah they seem to be close enough to each other that they should have raised their lances at this point. Mm.
1: Yeah, um, or, or lower them if you go from there. Uh, oh yeah that's true if you yeah. go from,
0: from yeah but it's the, the funny thing is that both jousting left-handed yeah. uh and I don't know if this is symbolic of vampires taking the left-hand path or if it's just the way that the artist chose to to put the picture but uh it could be if,
1: just that it was uh, uh, reversed when it was printed or something
0: That <laughs> is true but a fun thing is of course in in the middle ages uh people who are left-handed would have been forced to learn how to use their right hand because being left-handed is a sin it's mentioned as a sin yeah. in the bible
1: yeah uh, so yeah the, the word sinister means left in in latin so so you yeah have the, you, you have the literal connection between being bad and uh, and being left-handed uh, so, uh, yeah. so,
0: yeah. So anybody who uh, who says that you know homosexuality is a sin in the Bible, yeah. So is being left-handed. Mm. So and, uh, and unless it's, you, w-
1: it's equally bad. And yeah. And when it comes to that, mixing different fabrics in in the same article of clothing is also equally bad.
0: Yeah. Um, so unless you want to. Uh, oh, and and usury, um, uh, taking mm. interest on money. So unless you want to. Uh, go in for electroshock therapy for left-handed people and uh, boycott and protest against banks for taking interest on money. Shut up about homosexuality. (laughs) Um, Anyway, sorry, got a bit off uh, topic there, but um, we start with an introduction, which like Transylvanian Chronicles that we talked about last time, include a section saying that things have been changed, Mm. taking some inspiration from likely romances and the like, and I appreciate that they they do this just with the Transylvania Chronicles. I think they're ni- It's nice that they're upfront with the fact that they have advanced the timeline on some things to fit the narrative because it. Once again, it's something that can make sense. Uh, you can definitely see vampires being enamored with uh, the um, the knightly romances, the Chanson de guest and all that, uh, and with chivalry and basically using their power and influence to get mortal society to accept these things earlier than they would so i have absolutely no problem with them saying that they've changed things here yeah
1: yeah i agree and and we've said this many times before like if if you know what you're doing and and then then just do it because it it makes things so much cooler usually um i usually or i i also like um the rather what, what do you call it kind of the, the the selection of inspiration and and reading oh resources. yeah uh, so, so for example, they mention uh, Terry Jones from the Mon- Monty Python. <laughs> uh, he he did a really cool uh, TV show called The Crusades, and yeah, this must have been late '90s, early 2000s. And and what he did was that, or or among the other things that did he did was that he he actually went down to Jerusalem, kind of along the road that um, that that the Crusaders would take. Uh, And and during during the filming, just to get the experience, he was actually wearing um, uh, full um, 11th century armor. And and they actually mentioned this in the book, which is why I think it's fun, is that the the people, the the, the Turks and the the locals are just staring at this incredibly (laughs) silly dude walking around in in medieval clothes. Uh, But but what I wanted to point out with, with that particular show is that they make a really good point of, uh, of the quality of cloth armor because they, they mention it um, as a point in, in the documentary that uh, the, the locals, would, uh, the, the Saracens, uh, would, would fire arrows at uh, the, the heavily armored uh, crusaders and, and they would look like porcupines because the arrows would just stick without hurting them. And this is attributed to, to the fact that they were wearing not only chain mail, but, but uh, gambesons and, and cloth armor yeah. un- underneath, which we would um, would uh, stop, the, stop the arrows. Uh, and, and they do some testing. It's been a very long time since I've si- uh, seen this. Uh, but, but if you can get a hold of it, it's, it's really good. And, and again, you have Terry Jones walking around in, in Crusader outfits. Um, yeah, and
0: if people are thinking like, okay, so it's a guy from Monty Python, how serious can it be? No, Terry Jones, like all uh, the people from Monty Python have a university education. The the Pythons met yeah. in university, so uh, so no, he he's got an uh, uh, education in history. I don't know if he's the one who's an Arthurian scholar or if it's one of the others, but
1: don't they know their yeah. stuff. Yeah, they and and of course it's a, it, it, they they have a full. I think it's a BBC production team behind them, so they. They've checked the, the facts, and, and yeah. he, he's basically just the narrator. Uh, but mm. that was one of the, uh, the the sources that I wanted to mention. Then, uh, then of course they, um, they they do have some uh, modern movies as well, like or at the time of writing, modern movies <laughs> like yeah. um, uh, Ken, Kenneth Branagh's Henry V and and Flesh and Blood with uh, Rutger Hauer and uh, directed by Paul Verhoeven, which is. Uh, if it has really nothing to do with the Crusades because it takes place in the early 1500s and it's more if if you want like Landsknechts, uh fighting and, and siege warfare and a bit of the plague, then that's a really cool movie. Uh, but, but but it it depicts uh, warfare or, or the brutality of warfare quite well. Um, yeah. and and then of course we have Excalibur, the the Arthurian epic movie. Uh, by, that by one John is Bull. just weird. Yeah, it's, it's cool. Yeah. but it's weird. Yeah, it's it's really cool, and and you have the uh, you have armors made by Terry English, which is like one of these um, kind of all, almost <laughs> mythical or at least legendary uh, armorers in in modern movie history. And and uh, again, they're completely wrong for the time period because they're more inspired by by sixteenth century no. armor, uh, but from what what I think is is fun with uh, just just as a detail is that uh, at least one of those armors um ended up uh, in an Adam and the ants music video <laughs> so so if if anyone remembers Adam and the ants uh, and and remembers his uh, music video for, I think it's I think it's ant trap, which is a weird choice for music video to include. Castles and knights in armor. Then, (laughs) then uh, Adamant himself is actually running around in one of Terry English's um, uh, armors that that I think is supposed. I think it's it's actually one of of uh, the ones from the Excalibur movies.
0: Yeah, I've always preferred Stand and Deliver just for the aesthetics of that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's uh, a good one. That is an amazing yeah. one. Um yeah
1: century <laughs> though, but yeah. Yeah,
0: definitely. <laughs> and once again, we're getting off topic. Mm-hmm. I just want to mention that, speaking of Rutger uh they also have Ladyhawk, which mm. is a low-fantasy movie that I just think is so amazingly cool. And you could do a lot worse than getting your inspiration for a night from um, the role that that uh, Hauer plays in that movie. Because he is so cool in that one yeah uh, i i love lady hawk just yeah. if and and i think the level of uh sort of supernatural you have in that one fits uh the world of darkness quite well um so so i mean if you want if you want an inspiration it's it's a very heroic tale so maybe it's not appropriate for vampire but it's still it's still a great movie if you can find it um so yeah chapter one looks at chivalry and the related ideals surrounding the knight where do knights come from, how are the chivalric ideals practiced or not practiced, where uh, are they practiced, what does it mean to be a knight, all that sort of thing. Now, the very be- uh, beginning, uh, at the very beginning, they define a knight by saying a knight is not just a soldier who happens to be on horseback, which is quite true, because an armored soldier on horseback is not a knight, it's a sergeant. You have to actually be knighted to mm, be a knight, yeah. which Usually, like 99.9% of the time means being a noble. Not only because it was like only nobles can be knights, but more practically, only nobles have the money to actually be a knight. Sergeants could be equipped, yes, but they were equipped by others. They didn't own their own stuff until later when you really started to get some people getting wealthy off just being soldiers.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, you, you have the you have the sergeant and and men at arms who, who are basically they they have the equipment of a knight, but they
0: yeah
1: probably either big borrow or barter or stole it from someone else. <laughs> uh, so, but, but yeah, it's it's a very good point that that it, it's quite expensive to be a knight.
0: Yeah, uh, this chapter covers a lot of things, including geographical takes on chivalry and the idea of knighthood outside of Christianity and it's a lot of really good information. As the intro says they have moved uh, the timeline up a bit including uh, some things and ideals that weren't around in 1197 but you can chuck that up to interfering vampires without too much trouble so I think it gives uh, a really good idea not just if you want to play a knight in Europe but also uh, what what is the ideas of chivalry outside of of Western Europe and um, there are specific things I'd like to touch on uh, but first what is your take on this chapter
1: yeah I uh, I, I liked it again as you mentioned that the, the, there are some things that have been moved around and and that's not really a problem uh, they they do make quite a good like run through of, um, of, of of different things and different ideas and concepts like so so for example um the, the fact that genealogy and um, and and your ancestry is, is really important and, and yeah. I like they, they actually mention it that um, people or, or noble families would trace their uh, their their ancestry back to the uh, to the sons of Noah uh, so because they, there was this idea that that uh, you had his, his uh, three sons, which I can't remember what they're called, but basically that's one. Ham, uh, oh. is it? Is it Sam Ham and Jaffet? Is the, are those the dudes? That, that... Something, something like that. Jaffet's one of them, I think. I, I... Yeah, but but basically you, this is you one of the like things one... you should remember and can't. It's annoying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, and there's a lot of takes to run through. But basically, you you have the idea that that um, yeah, uh, as a lineage from them. Uh, Humanity is divided in into three kind of social classes so you, ha- you have the noble people who who were the good son and then you have the the kind of lesser noble people who was the less good son and then you had uh, the third son who uh, who who actually looked at the uh, and laughed at the naked Noah when he was drunk after crashing dark crash landing dark um <laughs> and and so they became the I'm I'm gonna use a phrase from Star Wars. Uh, I'm, I'm not meaning it literally, but the scum of the earth, basically. So, uh, yeah. so uh, nobility would would trace their ancestry back to the good son of of, of Noah, just because, of course, they are. Uh, and and they actually mention it uh, that that you would also throw in like pagan gods and um, uh, and some some even go back to Adam and Eve. And this was a thing that was done not only in, in like in the 12th century. Uh, but but way up in, into almost early modern times. Um, yeah. In in Sweden in the 1600s, you had uh, not, not really a reformation of uh, of nobility, but you kind of had to organize them a bit more because there were so many uh, noble families, and and you really need needed to uh, straighten out the, the basically the family trees and the the house of nobility with the. Uh, order of descendants, because in in a very Swedish fashion, all of the uh, noble families are are numbered uh, according to when they were first introduced. Uh, <laughs> so uh, so so they needed to fix that, and so so every noble family had to basically hand in their uh, the, uh, the genealogy, their family tree, and of course a yeah. lot of them would would trace them back to like Odin and and. Uh, or or prophets or, or or apostles and stuff like that which of course is yeah. completely ridiculous but it's, and it's but it's also it's kind of funny accurate. to yeah it's kind of funny to see in in a
0: time where you know you had this very very fanatical christianity and war against pagans and people were still going yeah yeah one of my ancestors was odin or one of my ancestors yeah. was thor mm. um but i mean if you look at something like the gesta danorum um mm the 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 so called history of of the Danes, <laughs> which is anything but written by Saxo Grammaticus back in these times. He mentions uh, Odin and other Norse gods as heroes in yeah. the history of uh, of Denmark. So there was this idea that okay, we um, we we can't call them gods because there is only one god, mm. but they, they were still part of the history. And and when you have these stories of gods that were kicking ass. You kind of want to put them into your genealogy because they sound good yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's 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 a fun thing that that shows how the society of the time were that you could have Christianity but still you know prowess was an important thing
1: yeah yeah I, I completely agree with that and, and we're probably gonna get into that later when when we talk about the, the virtues and stuff like that but 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 yeah it's it's an interesting way to to look at how you can incorporate. Uh, kind of um what do you call them I- ideas that that clash with each other and go counterwise to each other um, yeah so so that was that was one of the that was uh, one of the things I wanted to mention then then I had one that you I know mean, it just feels a bit weird and and that is that the um, uh, the entire book basically or at points they kind of of Counter the uh, idea of, of this modern newfangled chivalry against like the older ideas of, of ancient Rome, for example, and, and like oh this this whole chivalry and and doing what's right and and having a code of honor and stuff like that. That is, the 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 elders of Rome would just scoff at that. But at the same time, you had ideas that could. Um, at least with, with a pinch of salt could be interpreted as uh, as being chivalric, like for example you, you had the basic idea that it was better to commit suicide than being captured in battle uh, of mm. course because it meant that you would probably be uh, you would probably be be executed in, in quite a painful way, but, but you have um, just take the civil wars uh, including and uh, after Julius Caesar when uh, when you had the first and the second triumvirate, and and you had all of the people who, uh, who who would rather commit suicide than than to be captured, uh, and and you have examples of uh, Roman generals who uh, were disgraced because instead of committing suicide on the battlefield when they were being defeated, they ran away. So so you do still have kind of the same ideas, and and I think it would be an interesting idea to to show um, why older vampires would be interested in this newfangled chivalry thing because they recognized parts of it from when they were young back in in roman times and yeah even in
0: in greek times as well where you had the philosophers um philosophizing about basic humanity and things like that um so and, that, and you that, you have that's in, also something in
1: Sparta where uh, where the mother says that either come back with your shield or uh, upon it but don't come back without it which means that mm. if if you go into battle because the, the kind of shields that the Greeks had were really uh, large and heavy uh, so so if you run away you would throw it away to um, to to be able to escape easier and run faster but if if you won you would of course just bring your shield back and if you died you tradition uh, said that you would be carried on your shield so that's come mm. come back with your shield or on it but but not without yeah. it so so you have and and so, so you have these ideas that um, they are run through the ages and and it would be interesting as, as a storytelling device to see like how an, an ancient Greek uh, character, now turning into a modern knight, trying to influence uh, the younger knights in like, yeah, but this was how we did it back in Rome. Come on, you you also need to do this. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh,
0: f- one funny thing, page 25 mentions uh, use prima nocte. Hmm. Uh, and it's it's funny because in a previous book, they mentioned prima nocte as uh, a fact. I can't remember which one it was. We talked about it in, uh, in that book. And here they say... At it didn't happen. Um, and a, a couple of weeks ago, I actually saw one of the YouTubers that I follow do a video on on Just Prima Nocte where he talked about there being absolutely no historical evidence uh, for it. And it is problematic. But at the same time, you know, in the world of darkness, it, it fits this idea of it being a darker world where you might have uh, nobles. Because, I mean, nobles of the time in our world were no uh, were not you know saints many of them would probably uh, take advantage of women if they felt like it but this idea of there being an actual law that allowed them to basically what is rape uh, basically allowed them to do this to women on their wedding night um, this, this fit, I think fits with the world of darkness so you can have it if you if you want to and basically say yeah this is an example. Of the world of darkness being darker than our world, yeah. even though it's not historically uh, accurate, it's it's an example of how you can uh, tailor the world of darkness so people uh, people understand that this is the world of darkness.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Personally, I would stay away from it because it's it's a subject that I I don't think should be included. But but if if you want, uh, like like you mentioned, if you want to show how how dark and terrible the world is, then then yeah, it's. You, you you can throw
0: that in, but yeah, you're absolutely right, and I I agree with you. It's it's you should be very careful about including rape just for the purpose of drama and showing how dark the world is. At least be aware of the group that you are playing with, because this could be uh, a dark area for a lot of mm-hmm. players. But at the same time, for some people, it might be liberating if you have this lord who is is invoking prima nocte, and you are playing powerful vampires who just go ah uh, no yeah and 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 stop it that that can also be empowering mm, yeah. um and then on page 29 they talk about women and women as knights and women in um uh, in chivalry and things like that and this is a topic that i feel kind of deserves its own side quest because it is a very contentious even um uh controversial topic talking about women uh, warriors fighting women throughout history especially in the middle ages and it is a very very big topic so i i don't think it's something that we should go into in this book uh other than saying you know they, they do make a discussion of it and obviously once you've been embraced once you're a vampire mm-hmm. all bets are off because while there are some vampires who still cling on to um, to gender ideas it it changes that is part of of the setup of the of the setting um so it's it's worth mentioning that they talk about it but i think it's something that we could actually do a a side quest on the history of of women in say the middle ages uh as it relates to fighting yeah
1: yeah we could uh, i think we're gonna have to mention uh women warriors again later on in this episode yeah. when we talk about the equipment but yeah i, I agree there 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 is um there is enough uh, material for an entire own episode of that, uh, but but yeah, I, I like the fact that they they at least discuss it, and and this book is what almost it's it's more than twenty years old even, so so it. it oh has, God, we're old. Yeah, exactly. So so <laughs> there there is some like there, there has luckily been some advancement both in society and and uh, the historical um, uh, in the field of history. Uh, but but yeah, it's um, this book
0: is from the year two thousand.
1: Yeah, so it's yeah, it's more than twenty years. Holy crap! Uh, but, <laughs> but overall, I I really like this uh, this whole chapter. Uh, it, one one thing that they have is that they they have like small sidebars uh, with with the canite perspective on things. So you you talk yeah. about uh, the different virtues, for example, and and then they uh, and and then they have like the what what would vampires think of this? So it's it's very useful. Uh, it's it's not overly uh, kind of like like just just a bunch of of text without it. It, it splits up the text so it's it's more easily digestible. Um, one one thing that I, I think is is uh, or, or that I'm, I'm missing actually, and that is uh, in the sections on uh, on on uh, the different geographical areas uh, because you go through the the, the difference like France and the Low Countries, the British Isles, uh, uh, Italy and places like that. And then we come to uh, Scandinavia and the Slavic lands. Uh, f- first of all, I don't really see why, why you would mix those two together because they were quite different yeah um,
0: exactly it's 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 like they're saying, okay, these are the pagan areas except yeah. by eleven ninety seven I mean Denmark has been Christian for quite some time. Christianity has moved quite a ways up in both Sweden and Norway, yeah
1: yeah, and we have local saints like um uh Eric the Holy up here in uppsala he he was uh, murdered by not danes but but by rivaling uh, people and but but of course there are the 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 kind of society the, the feudal society hasn't really picked up in at least not up in in Sweden by this time so there is there is more of a clan society I would say in in Sweden and Norway uh, rather than there's in, in, in
0: yeah and in Denmark we're we're definitely starting to see a move toward feudal society yeah. after the Danish Civil War where the kings realized that. They needed a more feudal society yeah. to prevent to prevent more civil wars. Yeah,
1: but what I what I think is um, one one source that they uh, I don't know if they just missed it or, or haven't heard of it, but there there are stories in uh, in Norse mythology that that very much fits the whole tradition of of uh, the uh, chivalric romances, uh, and I'm thinking in in particular of uh, of, of Sigurd Fafnisban, uh, oh who, yeah! Who was basically a uh, well? He wasn't a knight because he didn't have knights. But but he, he fits the whole story of of being a young warrior, getting a magical sword, uh, and and killing a dragon to to uh, save the, the It's not a princess, but to, to save people and get the treasure. Uh, it's it's most. He ends famous... up var- marrying a Valkyrie, doesn't he? <laughs> it, in one of the versions, I think it is. Uh, if. Probably in Wagner's *Nibelungenlied*, because that's the, the story of, of uh, Sigurd. Is, is basically the inspiration for, for Wagner's opera. Uh, yeah. but, but you could easily do like y- you have all of the chivalric elements in that. So you can, if, if you want Scandinavian knights um, like the Order of Saint Sigurd or, or something like that, you could eas- easily make something of it oh, using yeah. that as uh, as an in- inspiration. Um, so so yeah that's that's what just one of the the things that i missed. Uh, and i mean
0: also if you if you look at the popularity of Beowulf yeah. um, he ha, he he is definitely he's showing some of the virtues of a knight being very very brave and strong and and everything. So there are some of the stories here yeah, coming out of of Scandinavia that could uh, be tied into to the whole idea of chivalry.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay so um moving on to chapter 2. Unless you have more on on this chapter, uh, no, I don't
1: think so. Not. Uh, I might uh, come back to it, but we—you never know. Uh,
0: yeah. So chapter two focuses specifically on K knights as knights. We start off with an in character piece by the same vampire that authored *Clan Book Salubri*, which is kind of interesting. Mm. Uh, I like that they're bringing this guy back, yeah. and it gives some in character perspective of on being a vampire and a knight, where you look at um, both the the author giving his musings and then interviewing some vampires who have become or were when they were mortal knights uh, it's really well written and i love the nod to the astronomy of the time because they mention the planets in their spheres orbiting earth yeah. which is obviously what was believed back then um here just uh, just as elsewhere in the book there is some mention of germany where i think the term holy roman empire might be more appro- appropriate because the kingdom of germany is part of the holy roman empire and it is a central and generally most important part, but both in and out of character, I think it's usually better to refer to the Holy Roman Empire unless someone specifically means just the kingdom of Germany. But otherwise, I think it's a great in-character introduction.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. It's, uh, it's it's quite long, but it's it's uh, well-written enough so that you, it doesn't bog you down. Uh, and, and as you said, it, it's weird that they mention Germany uh, in in the same way that they mentioned Scandinavia it probably shouldn't because by this point uh you you do have uh, at least two quite distinct countries of, of Sweden, yeah. and denmark norway so so you wouldn't really and and more importantly you have different uh bishopries uh yeah so so that would be like you you wouldn't say like the 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 bishopry of Germany or the bishopry of England you would have like the bishopry of Canterbury, or the bishopry of, or archbishopry, even I guess, uh, of of Uppsala, or uh, is it? What, what's the first uh, archbishopry in 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 Denmark? Is it Roskilde or? Uh, I, th- it's either uh, bishopric. I think is
0: either, no, the pe- bishopric that's Ribe. Ribe, the first yeah, one. yeah, of course, yeah. The first archbishopric in Denmark is Lund, yeah, which is now in Sweden. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, so, so so yeah, that's. Uh, just, again, just pitting, but it's it's what we're paid to do, so... Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, so we follow up with some general discussions on how a canine can be a knight, as well as a few words on being a noble lady exploiting chivalry and knights, uh, and this is great stuff. I especially really, really, really love their suggestions on ways you can get around not being active during the day. Yeah. For example, claiming a witch's curse... Uh, you've taken some extreme oath, I will never watch the sun rise as long as the Muslims hold Iberia. Mm. Uh, or you have a lover who set you the task of not appearing during the day, You know, hearkening back to the whole idea of, of courtly love. So you're trying to court this woman, and she said, well, uh, one of the, your tasks is never to see the sun, which is an extreme task, obviously. But if you have someone who's really tied into the whole romantic ideal, they're just gonna say, okay, you managed to get yourself quite a, a hard lady. Yeah. And these examples are so great, because um, one of the things you always struggle with in in playing a vampire game in the Middle Ages is explaining why your character isn't active during the day. And th- these, these are useful, not just for knights, but for others. Uh, the whole witch's curse thing is great. They also then talk about the trouble, for example, if you claim it's a witch's curse, then uh, you, you're probably going to have a bunch of church people coming after you, saying, "Hey, shall we try to remove the curse? We have, we have an
1: ointment for that." Uh, but, yeah, but yeah. I, I really, uh, I really like this, and, and uh, because, as you said, uh, it's it's actually a proper way to explain away wh- why you're not out in the daytime, and it's they're, they're really useful and they're, they're different enough so that it's it's not just the same old excuse uh, all, yeah. all the time. Uh, and and it shows how kind of I I don't really know how to put it M- messed up is is probably the, like like how uh, outrageous in a way some of these ideas of, of cheapaboo were. Oh yeah. So so you have you have these these ideas, and they mentioned the, the Ulrich von Liechtenstein, who <laughs> the, the people he, he was a real knight, and and his most I think most people know him from. Um, uh, a knight's tale with uh, with Heath Ledger and uh, Paul Bedden in it, but but he was a real guy, and uh, and and they mention him in one of the sidebars that that he uh, basically ran around um, challenging people because that's what what a knight was supposed to do, and and you had people, uh, there was this whole idea of of um, uh, what's it called, just the arms. Um, again, yeah. my French yeah. isn't the best, we, which is basically that. You're you're supposed to uh, uh, um, what do you call it uh, duel against and, and challenge opponents, yeah. Uh, not necessarily to the death, but just to show like yeah we need to fight to prove your worth, worth. And and so what people did and and they were probably inspired by like the Arthurian romances and stuff like that. Is is that uh, a knight would set up camp next to a, a bridge or or a mountain pass. Yeah, crossroads and then they would basically challenge everyone who uh who who came through to a fight. Uh and and if people are are currently
0: thinking um Monty Python the Holy yeah. Grail the the Black Knight uh yeah, I mean it's it's a comedy and it's obviously made for comedy. But yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, exactly. You know, some guy yeah, they... in the middle of of nowhere going, if you want to pass, you're going to have to fight me.
1: Yeah, And there must have been some people going, you are an absolute loony. Yeah, and, and as, as an example of this, but, but the interesting thing is that society kind of adored these people. It <laughs> yeah. uh, there was, there was a Spanish knight, or, or a Castilian, since Spain wasn't really around, but uh, in the uh, uh, 1300s called Suero de Quiñones, um, who he, along with, I think, like uh, a dozen or so of his knightly friends, they, they set up one of these... Um, uh, just the pass, uh, uh, past the arms. Sorry, uh, to uh, on. I think it was a bridge over a river, and and they they set up as a goal that they would break three hundred lances because that was uh, the the number yeah. is important. I can't remember why, but but to sh- to prove their worth, uh, and and over a period of about a month, uh, they fought in total uh, one hundred and sixty six battles. Uh, after which they were so wounded that they couldn't um, that, that they couldn't continue. But <laughs> again, in this kind of uh, fashion, that that yeah, I didn't succeed in doing what I I said I would do. But I can kind of twist this in in so that I I'm off the hook anyways. They they then said that well, since we can't fight anymore, our job here is done. We've we've done the best we could. Uh, and so we can go back with our honor but but basically <laughs> they were just fighting people for a month um and and then they couldn't so so it's it's from a modern point of view it's it's extremely stupid but again this is something that that you were not necessarily expected to do but if you did it people would look up to you
0: yeah um, and it, it's kind of funny because you can draw parallels to the Scandinavian tradition of the brag uh, yeah. where you where you would brag about what you're going to do and then you'd better do it whereas here it's it's more of swearing a chivalric and in theory holy oath uh, and then you better do it so it's there is this this current of thing uh, current running through history of uh, people warriors, guys uh saying that they're going to do stupid stuff and then doing it um but yeah uh so uh, they also have stuff on wars especially the crusades they talk about tournaments and how Canites have begun to set up their own nighttime tournaments uh early in the book they talked about uh, vampires being really inspired by mortal tournaments and and some vampires being so inspired by chivalry that they participate in mortal tournaments where i went what those happen during the day, but they talk about setting up their own nighttime tournaments, where I also love that they say that a lot of fighting happens on foot because a lot of vampires have trouble with horses, mm. and also that they are very wearing very light-colored clothing, including light-colored surcoats, so that you have a chance to actually see them at night. Uh, so they've actually thought about the yeah. difficulties of setting up nighttime tournaments, but I absolutely love Nighttime tournaments—they yeah, are—they're
1: it, quite the feature. Yeah, it, it makes for a very cinematic scene. Like you, you, you could have, of course, those ubiquitous torches, but and and uh, braziers with fires and and uh, red glowing eyes in the night and and everything like that. So yeah, it's it's a really cool idea. Uh,
0: yeah, I. I... I have a tendency to include them in my in my games. I have uh, no less than two upcoming books for um, the Storyteller's Vault, where there are nighttime tournaments. <laughs> but it's just it's a great storytelling device.
1: Yeah, and and of course tournaments and, and jousts in in general can be used for all kind of things, like like we mentioned in the uh, previous side quest, with things that happen in a tournament can end up in in a year years long wars. Uh, so, yeah. he, for example, the the uh, the guy who stole a cow and then he was executed and then his yeah. leech lord demanded uh, demanded payment and and it ended up being a year that went on for like five yeah. or six years War <laughs> of the Cow. It was a thing. Google it. Mm. Uh, but but yeah, it's it, like the, this this whole chap- chapter has has a lot of good things and, and ways to include. Um, vampire characters in in mortal society, which is something I really like, um, and, and again, a lot of the the kind of uh, advice they give is is really useful or or at least inspirational when it comes to like yeah, how how can a, a vampire knights actually join the crusades? W- what will they do? And and you can have um, Nosferatu knights can can disguise themselves as as lepers and stuff like that. Um, and, and one of the things that that hit me was that they, because going on a crusade is is a whole thing. Being on a crusade is also a thing, and then you have the, the way of, of coming back from the Crusades because you might have been gone for years. things might have happened in, in your in your homeland uh, and, and to your to your fiefdom, to your to your uh, place where you live uh, and, and everything might change. And of course, this this is a really good opportunity for example if if you uh if you're a vampire uh he, he disguises himself as a, a as a mortal then then if he goes away like i'm going on a crusade my peasants uh, take care of my lands while i'm away uh and then when he comes back he pretends that uh that original knight died and he's now his uh son who who has come back to to succeed him um, yeah, it's a, it's a really good way of doing the whole um, moving moving
0: away from who you were to a new person,
1: and and so you have a lot of good advice like that in this book, and and opportunities for it as well. That, that you uh, um, again, you can uh, if if you got uh, embraced during the Crusades, you can come back as one of these knights who has uh, promised to never reveal their face uh, until. Uh, Jerusalem is uh, once more in the hands of Christians or whatever. Uh, yeah, so, exactly. So a lot of uh, a lot of role playing opportunities using these uh, these settings and and these ideas.
0: Yeah, uh, we also have a look at what clans are involved with chivalry, and I think it's kind of fun to see. Uh, the Tremere mentioned as one of the clans that are not involved with chivalry because I know them from Ars Magica where they were one of the most militant and well-organized houses. So, I mean, they were very practical. So the whole idea of, you know, um, being all honorable and doing things the right way might go against them, but it uh, they would still be interested in knights, I think, purely on the basis that they want people who can who can fight Uh, There's also a discussion of clan versus feudal liege and it ends with a section on ghoul knights and the section on ghoul knights I think was really interesting because I think that's great story fodder. You could have uh, a fun uh, little short chronicle just a couple of games playing ghoul knights or you could use that as a jumping off point for a longer game where characters start off as ghouls, start off as as ghoul knights, and then they're embraced and they can go in all sorts of directions from that. So, so I, I could, I could see myself doing something with ghoul knights.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a very cool idea, and, um, and, and again, as you mentioned, it's you can use it as a, just a one shot or a jumping off point. Uh, on, on topic of premieres and, and Chilre, I, I do agree that they're probably very interested in, in, like the militant and and warfare part of it, but on the same time. There's a difference between being a soldier and being a chivalric knight, uh, and that is true. And, and you have the same with itsmichi that that they mentioned that they're they're uh, the fiends are warlords, not uh, not prancing idealistic fools. And, and <laughs> I can I can very well see the difference between like I, I can see itsmichi knights like like or or at least men at arms, but I wouldn't see them as chivalric knights. I I would see them no. more as as the kind of um, robber barons or robber knights—that is also very common in the romances and, and the stories. And um, yeah, the black knights. Yeah, exactly. And and you had you, you also have real life examples uh, that that did the things that were really like almost from from comic books. So um, for example, you have oh I can't remember—it uh, was a German knight in the 1300s who. Uh, he was, uh, he was actually captured and, and sent to hang, uh, which is interesting. Uh, but A knight that was hung? Yeah. Whoa. Uh, well, well, he wasn't uh, because he, he was being kept in, in the Nuremberg Castle, uh, the, the old one. Um, and, and he said that on, on the day of his execution, he was bring up, brought out into the courtyard. He said that as his final wish, he would like to sit on his horse one final time. And, and apparently his guards thought that, yeah, what's the problem when we're, we're inside a courtyard? <laughs> uh, and what he did was basically he, or at least according to the legend, he uh, jumped the wall and into the moat and managed to escape. Uh, and and after that, when they rebuilt uh, Nuremberg Castle, they made sure that the walls were, were higher and thicker so he, uh, stuff like that wouldn't happen again. Uh,
0: also, uh, it doesn't. Uh, the new Nuremberg Castle doesn't have a moat. <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah. So, and it is it is a really cool castle, by the way. If anybody's ever in Nuremberg, <laughs> I love the uh, castle in Nuremberg. I've been there a couple yeah, of times. So it, it's so. so you cool.
1: have examples like that, and then you also have another yeah. German uh, from again. This is from the early fifteen hundreds, but it's the, the same idea applies, and it's called uh, Götz von Berlichingen. Uh, pardon my German. Uh, he <laughs> he is famous for for. Mostly two things. One of them being that he actually had a, a metal prosth- prosthetic arm. Uh, oh
0: yeah, I remember that one. Yeah,
1: and uh, and also because he he was quite of an asshole, and it's it said at 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 a siege at one point. I think it was when uh, when he was being asked to surrender, then he replied that they they can lick my arse. Uh, <laughs> and And so that might be apocryphal from a, an opera about him, but it's it's a still a fun story, but he was he was actually outlawed by Emperor maximilian for for robbing merchants because he he interrupted trade so much. but he thought that well i'm I'm a nobleman and these are just lowly uh, lowborn merchants of and they're passing through my domain so of course I have the right to toll them if I want to uh, and and this is something. Like the idea of of a knight uh, acting like this, like the the complete uh, disdain and and lack of respect for non-noble people, uh, I feel is very much something that would fit in uh, a vampire game.
0: Yeah. Uh, Speaking of the Tzimish, uh, my wife, uh, who is a huge Tzimish fan, has actually made uh, the Tzimish road of chivalry so it's it's uh Ooh, that cool. how how the tzimish approach to chivalry is and that is all about honoring the clan honoring the clan traditions and doing things the right way so if you declare war on another Tsimish, then you do it the proper way and all stuff like that um and if if people are interested in in seeing uh it uh drop a um a note on the Facebook page and I'll ask her if, if it's okay for me to uh, to post it because we've used it quite a few times in, in games in our current um, Transylvania Chronicle games our Tsimish is following that road. Yeah, that, that uh, sounds so it's, like
1: a side quest if, if people are interested in, and if she would want to share with, <laughs> with us. Uh. Yeah,
0: I can definitely ask her. Hmm. Uh, so, so chapter three is all about the knightly orders. And we start, not surprisingly, with the biggest section, which is on the most well-known of the orders, the poor fellow soldiers of Christ and the Temple of Solomon, a.k.a. the Templars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, I'm going to go against what I normally say, Because one thing I wish they'd included here was some of the conspiracy theories surrounding the Templars that are very much not historically accurate. I feel that the world of darkness is a perfect venue to make some of these, like some of the ones from the the book Holy Blood, Holy Grail, canon, even though they're not historically uh, correct. What do you think, Peter? Peter? Historical correctness, full Dan Brown
1: or something in between. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't even thought about that actually, but but yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, <coughs> it's an interesting idea. and and um, I'm, I'm I'm a bit hesitant to say that I would want to make them canon, but i would I would definitely allow for at least speculations to be canon or or and and perhaps like, some of the conspiracies, like yeah, perhaps not the entire um, the entire order were devil worshippers, but there there is room for a few Bali in there or setites even uh, infiltrating, or maybe
0: just that they are magicians who who have access to some ancient magics and some strange artifacts. And that is why, you know, they're, they're killed off rather than yeah, the French yeah, exactly. king just going, and, and I owe them money, yeah, die. Exactly,
1: <laughs> which, which I think is a very, uh, it's a good enough reason anyways. But, but <laughs> yeah. the interesting or, or the, the good thing about uh, um, the Templars from this, this perspective is that they're so widespread all over Europe. So you could have like, for example, one of the, uh, the chapters up in Scotland, perhaps they are worshipping uh, the Fae and using their magic to do their stuff. While down in France, you can have a chapter or a part of a chapter that are devil worshippers or whatever, and and they might not even know that the other yeah. uh, uh, another chapter would would also deal with something that isn't really Christian. Because of course, if you think that you're the only ones doing it, you will still want to keep it a secret to all of your uh, not clanmates, uh, but but your uh, order brothers. So, so you, could, you could have, like, these different conspiracies uh, all trying to, to keep their conspiracies a secret from each other. Um, and, and then, of course, if one of them is, uh, is revealed, all of the others would, even though they might be doing something similar, they would, of course, like, yeah, burn the heretics. Uh, because, and yeah. I, I show my faith uh, since I want to burn them the most. Because that proves that I'm not a heretic, <laughs> heretic right? Uh, so you, you, yeah, I'm definitely not into that sort yeah, of stuff. Like, <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah,
0: um, one of the things that I really want to do because I've I've realized that basically my my Dark Ages games are an excuse for me to uh, to get involved in in real life uh, historical stuff that I think is cool. I would love to run or even for the storytellers vault write a Templar chronicle where the characters start out as nearnits shortly after the Templars really begin becoming big and powerful and then playing through the rise and fall of the Templars. Oh, um, yeah. But that's that's just me, you know, yet, yet another idea that uh, I might at some point get around to. <laughs> um, we also have a section on the Hospitallers, the second largest and second most popular order, uh, which, you know, I think never gets an, uh, as much love as the um, Templars, because the Templars have all these conspiracy theories surrounding them. But the Hospitallers, especially because they're never destroyed, become a very, very powerful order. And at one point, you know, the island of Malta, which is its own nation today, was run by the Hospitallers.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and they, in a way, almost became bigger and more important after the Crusades than before it. And, and especially yeah. in the uh, 1500s, when they... Uh, were were fighting the the Turks or the expanding uh, Ottoman empires in uh, on on the Mediterranean uh, because they had uh, they had a hold on the island of Rhodes in in Greece uh, which was conquered by by the Ottomans I think they had a, a, a chapter fortress on Cyprus as well I can't remember. Probably
0: uh, everybody had a fortress yeah, on, on yeah, Cyprus at one point or yeah. another.
1: <laughs> uh, and then, of course, they ended up in Malta, and you had the siege of Malta in 15-something, early 1500s, uh, which which was like one of these... It, it went on for, for I don't know, how many months, and you have this... Uh, you, you have uh, uh, one of the... Uh, you have like the main fortress, and they had a smaller fortress uh, that that also held on, but but it was overrun in the end. And and so when that happened, uh, everyone thought that it would just be be a matter of time before the the main fortress fell. And and so you had this um, in, incredibly uh, cinematic or or like uh, uh, good for storytelling uh, sieges and and battles on on the ramparts and and uh the turks broke the walls but then they managed to to uh, stop them in the gap uh, and and stuff like that and from a vampiric point of view what i think find, uh, find interesting is that uh the the grand master of uh of the hospi- hospitalers at this point he was like 70 years old or something like that but he still uh I don't remember if he actually fought in, in some of the actions, but he, he led from the front and, and he was wearing full plate armor and everything like that. <laughs> and like a 70-year-old person in the 1500s in the World of Darkness, I'd say it's quite likely that he might be a ghoul. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, so you, have, you have story seats for that. And, um, and and yeah, so so the the hospitalers are, are really interesting, uh, at, yeah. at least later on. Uh-
0: we also look at some other orders mi- uh, minor orders major orders spurious orders that may or may not have existed mm-hmm. uh, including the livonian sword brothers mm. uh, uh, which is uh, just a minor nitpick here the, the text says that the order was established in 1197 but uh, actually they were established in 1202 minor thing they were yeah. later um, of course absorbed by the Teutonic order which hasn't been formed yet in 1197 that's just on the cusp of yeah. forming um because and i re- yeah. And I like the fact that, you know, they, they mentioned because uh, in our world, the Livonians, uh, they, they were decimated by their uh, enemies when, when they were fighting in uh, in the pagan Eastern Europe. And here they say that the Livonians were destroyed, almost destroyed and had to be absorbed by another order because they managed to get themselves into fights against monsters they were just not ready to face. Yeah. So Tsimish and other things, I think that's a, a really neat take
1: on yeah, it. Yeah, and, and uh, again, you have, uh, and it's been mentioned, in, is it three pillars that they mentioned The Teutonic Knights, where, where they kind of, again, do this whole speed up history a bit, where, where you have yeah, the expansion yeah. of, of the Teutonic Knights against uh, the Timish. Uh, basically, so so uh, it would make a lot of sense if the Teutonic Knights, when they bring those these Livonian Knights into their fold, and they, they hear about uh, these monsters that they've been fighting against, that they would want to expand east to fight these monsters. Uh, oh, that's a really so, cool so idea. So then, I hadn't even
0: thought about that.
1: You, uh, again, this, this book is, is full of, of storytelling seeds. uh, uh if, if if again if if nothing else, it's uh, I I really like I I wouldn't have minded a bit more in, uh, information on the uh, on the Teutonic Order. They they do mention I mean briefly, like saying that yeah these they aren't really around yet. But but again, there are so many other things that aren't really around yet either that they kind of cover. Yeah. So it would have been uh, w- wouldn't have been out of place. To, uh, to yeah
0: them. the the teutonic order becomes quite important later in um uh the the book called under the black cross mm, so we get yeah. we get to hear about them there yeah. uh they also mentioned two orders for women, mm. the Order of the Hatchet and the Order of St. Helena. And I want to get into some detail about those. But before that, um, do you have any comments
1: on the other orders that they mention? Uh, no, not really. I also uh, wanted to talk about the Order of the Hatchet. But but what, what I like is that they they show that they, you have all of, all of these smaller, uh, I wouldn't say non-existent, but but the, the smaller orders that could be just local or they could be just made up to show your status, uh, and and again, it's it's a really cool storytelling advice to use. Like, yeah, okay, your your leech lord has decided to to uh, include you in this new new founded order, uh, and how do you want to react? You want to be a part of it, and it's it, it you could um, you you could meet uh, other vampires from from a different order that is similar, and like, oh, you also have your own your own <laughs> members club, basically. Uh, we, we should yeah. join together, or, or we might be rivals because you also want to find this particular artifact that we want to find because, of course, it belongs to us and and stuff like that. So, so you, you you aren't just restricted to this these three or maybe four really big orders. You can also have local ones, and and since it's the world of darkness, you can always just make up stuff that have never existed.
0: Yeah. Speaking of of stuff that never existed, if if we take a look at one of the the two uh female orders that they mention, uh, the Order of St Helena. This is named after uh St Helena who was the the mother of uh Constantine, the um, the emperor that uh, that basically embraced Christianity and um one of the reason she's a saint is that she allegedly found the true cross mm. and she was able she found uh, the true cross as well as the two crosses that uh, the two robbers or criminals were that were crucified next to jesus were on and she was able to figure out which was one was the real one um i haven't been able to find any evidence of the order of saint helena existing in the form that it's described in the book there are twin orders of saint constantine and saint helen but the order of saint helen uh, that exists in the real world bears no resemblance resemblance to what's described in the book. So I don't know where they got this idea from. Also the way that they describe the order of Saint Helena in the book, it seems highly unlikely to work, especially in our world but also actually in the world of darkness. So I don't know if this was something that they just made up, but I don't really like this. it, 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 it just doesn't it just doesn't make sense from my point of view.
1: Yeah, I I agree. It's it's a bit weird. Uh, but but again, if yeah, I I just felt that how how would I use these? Like, where where do they fit in? Because they just feel a bit out of place. And
0: yeah, it feels like they they try to shoehorn in uh, an order for for fighting women. But but Saint Helena uh, was never a, a militant saint. And just the the idea of of women scrounging weapons and armor from the battlefield yeah. and becoming knights. It, uh, I think, the Order of the Hatchet is a much better idea uh, towards making a militant order for uh, for women. Um, because it 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 may or may not have existed though. From what I've been able to find out when I did researches, it, it's generally accepted that it did exist. Um, though in our world, it was a. Um, a titular honorific order, yeah. not a militant order. Yeah,
1: exactly. So, so there, there was a historical event where where uh, the women of, of this um, uh, town uh, of Tortosa, yeah, uh, where where yeah. they helped defend against against Moorish attacks uh, using basically hatches and axes because that was w- what was around. And and so, like you mentioned, yeah, the
0: men the men were out uh, were out on on crusades. Mm, so. Yeah. Uh,
1: so, so what happened was that the um, the Count of Barcelona he he made those particular women uh, a militant order. So technically, they they were they, they were your own knightly order, and they were ordained. No,
0: actually, in in our world, he didn't make it a militant order. He, from what I could ah, okay. read, yeah. but I don't I'm, know if might
1: confuse it. But but again, it it was an order, and they they got some quite some rights. Like for example, they were allowed to actually. Uh, keep uh, jewelry and money that they inherited from, from their uh, dead husbands if they would die and stuff like that. But but the, the important thing uh, of the real world example is that uh, it was only those particular women who was there at that particular time that was allowed to be or who became the members. So, so yeah. the order would go extinct when the final woman uh, in that order would die. But again in the world of darkness it doesn't have to be like that. Like for example how many of those women were embraced so they could still technically live on or, or they could, um, like if, if a few of them were embraced, then they could keep the, the order alive and bring in more people. Of course, it wouldn't be sanctioned and, and officially it would be dead, of course. Uh, but it's, it's still a way to keep the, the order alive, especially if, if yeah. you go down like 150 years and, and you have this, this. A uh, Spanish peasant woman wearing wearing uh, knightly armor uh, and and uh, uh, um, introducing herself as as a member of the Order of the Hatchet and one of the younger canats would be like, wait, Order of the Hatchets? They're they're dead, weren't they? Uh, aren't they? And and the Spanish lady would like be, no, I'm I'm still around. Do, 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 yeah. do you want to make a thing about it? We can go out back and and we can duke it out if, if that's what you want and I can show you what, what I learned. Uh, yeah. Or you could have like a, a
0: vampire, a female vampire who uh, either after she was embraced become became militant or who was a a militant uh, in when she was alive, you know, a warrior, either say um, one of the, the uh, Celts who yeah. fought against the Romans or a Roman gladiator or something like that who've come down to this area and who encounters this and then uses her influence over mortal society to actually transform this from a uh, an honorific order to a militant order. Uh, now, given how um, the, the Middle Ages were and, and how the Dark Ages mirror the uh, Middle Ages, you're never going to have a lot of women who are trained from a young age, and it's never going to become widely accepted. But you, it's definitely... Uh, a great option for an, for expanding the possibility of women warrior warriors in the dark ages setting, if you say that, well, I have this ancient vampire who has the disciplines, the influence, the power yeah. to say that. Okay, this this order is uh, going to stay on, and it's going to be this tiny thing in Iberia where you have some women, and and they may from time to time choose a woman. Um, who who shows some promise and train her to actually fight. So so I think this really gives us one of the best options for getting close to having a woman has uh, have women as knights in the time.
1: At, at least in their in their own order, I I wouldn't mind one bit to include like a, a female templar, if uh, at least not a female a vampire templar. But but yeah, the, the, exactly. The, order of the hatchet uh, has a lot of room to to expand in the world of darkness. And, and, of course, yeah. you could always just disguise their headquarters as, as a nunnery or a monastery. Uh, and and, and they were kind of vampires in the yeah, monastery. No, but, but <laughs> uh, like the, the, the mortal women who are, uh, who are kind of, of groomed to be uh, oh, immortal yeah. fighters, they, they, they aren't taken away to be, become fighters because that would be against the order of nature. They're joining oh, the nunnery yeah. and then they would be trained in secret.
0: Oh, that is an awesome idea! I, I now I want to include that in the game. Uh, so we we end uh, this chapter with uh, s- uh, some canine orders, and I think you know it really makes sense that vampires, inspired by mortals, would go on to create their own knightly orders. Uh, so it's really good stuff, and and you know you can always. Invent your own if you want to, and we also have um, kind of an order for disp- uh, dispossessed ghouls whose sci- yeah. whose um, domitors were killed during fighting. I think that's a fun concept. Yeah. Uh, do you have any final thoughts on this chapter before we well, move on? I,
1: I think just just on the idea of of vampiric orders uh, because it again we have the problem of of there not being enough vampires to go around to 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 fill all of the positions basically uh b- because if you want a knightly order that that can actually do something you you would need like i don't know at least a dozen actual knights which would mean that they would need a bunch of squires and and serves uh, serving them um and and so i i find this idea of of having um uh, like like a bunch of of vampiric orders that have uh I don't know dozens of, of members uh, it, it, it kind of goes against what we've been being taught or told about how many vampires there are uh, and so I, I thought about ways to well if, if you need if you need it uh, if you think it needs fixing I, I thought of a way you might be able to fix it and, and that is instead of having uh, a lot of, of uh, different orders and and a lot of, of different, uh, or, or a, a bunch of, of vampiric knights in these orders, because of course the vampiric orders are going to be way smaller than than the mortal ones, like the Templars or the uh, Teutonic the Order. Uh, so, so mm. I'm, I'm thinking more of a, I don't know, almost like a, a Jedi Sith kind of thing that that you might oh, you, yeah. you might have like in in a way all of the vampiric knights especially the younger ones the toreador that embraced the whole court of the roses and court of love thing like they they yeah. consider themselves we're, we're all part of the same spiritual knightly order but but me and my squire or my apprentice we are the order of of this and that and and over there uh, is is my old friend uh, john who is uh, he and his uh, squire and apprentice or or uh, Child, uh, they consider themselves to be the the order of the White Rose or whatever. So so you can you can still have the the kind of pompous, um, almost uh, exaggerated way of like, yeah, I I am the Grand Master of, of this uh, the most uh, pious order of uh, coolest knight in Paris, uh, and the the order consists of me and my two childs. For example, yeah. So and it feels very very vampiric to be that kind of um, exaggerated uh, in in a way. Yeah, you bring up a really good point,
0: which is the whole thing with whenever there's uh, a concept uh, that's brought up in a book, they have a tendency to assign a lot of vampires to mm. it. And and you're completely right. You can't have a bunch of vampiric orders, each with dozens of members, because there's just not that many vampires that are going to be interested in being knights. So it's it's something to, uh, to really think about. Um, chapter four describes the Order of the Bitter Ashes. And wow, this one's funky. Yeah. The, qu- the quick background is that there is a group of elder Cainites called the Gatherers who were fascinated by Judaism from Moses onward and started collecting relics from the Ab- Abrahamic religions. They then decided they needed some protections. protection, so they created their own Cainite order, and here's where it gets really peculiar, mm-hmm. because the Gatherers had an artifact that may well be the actual Holy Grail. They certainly believe it, and they used this to bestow what they call the Grail Embrace on Vampires giving them pretty damn extreme powers if they survive it. uh, They have to battle their inner beast, which I think is a cool concept. Mm -hmm. Um, so, So they get powers like not needing to feed because their body naturally produces Vitae and not taking aggravated damage from sunlight. And these Grail Knights then protect the order and look for more holy artifacts. This is pretty high fantasy for me, but let me get your take on it before I, I talk more about yeah, it. Yeah,
1: well, it's it's one of these things that are basically either or. Either either I would probably make an entire chronicle about them, uh, kind of like you mentioned with the Templars, like from their rise or perhaps not the rise, because then you would have to go back really far back from from this day until they disappear from history, or I would just ignore any kind of mention other other than except like it it being a mythical something that vampire knights all all know that it's true that yeah there is this super secret super cool vampiric order and if you're if you're a brave enough knight you might be able to join them but it's it's just going to be a myth basically Uh, because as you say they are rather funky and 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 it would be weird it would be weird to to include them in in a in a kind of backhanded way because they, they have such an impact on the whole world of darkness basically that the, that they as I said they, they either kind of need their own thing or you would just ignore that they exist
0: yeah see I though I'm a big fan of uh quote-unquote magical items which may or may not be holy relics mm. uh, in, including them in the dark ages simply because people believed in them i think this is is taking a bit too far so i wouldn't use them in a regular game uh either as allies or or opponents or whatever but i think you could have a very fun different type of chronicle if all the characters were grail knights you have to tweak the setup that they give in the chapter a bit because everyone has a 10 person retinue and whatever but yeah you could have what would become a bit more idealistic uh, a bit more high fantasy a bit more you get to play the heroes type chronicle in the dark ages where people are playing grail knights where you have these powers that would basically allow you to do a lot of things you normally won't do in in vampire and you could run around fighting uh uh, various demonic uh entities and vampires allied with the forces of hell trying to steal your holy artifacts and trying to find other holy artifacts and once again i think it could be a fun book to write for the storytellers (laughs) vault but i have i have so much i I want to write but it's just it 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 can I think it could give some players some a different take on vampire where it gets a bit closer to something like Dungeons and dragons which isn't necessarily a bad thing if you want to try in, yeah. including more more magic and more high fantasy in your vampire game if everyone involved thinks it's fun then then go for yeah, it yeah yeah
1: I, I completely agree uh, and and like I said it's you, you need to make it this. Its own thing because otherwise it's, yeah. it's a bit bit of a wasted concept, considering how just how far out they are and and, and not only the fact that you you have uh, you have these incredible powers, you also have uh, the backing and the support and access to this uh, ancient order with with uh, a bunch of elders going back thousands of years. So so you you would have access to not only resources but only knowledge and and allies that are just a bit like way over your your normal setting so to speak so so yeah, yeah it, it's read it and and figure out for yourself if this is what something that you want to do with it but i, I wouldn't advise just throwing it in there lightly just just as, as a cool thing so to speak
0: no Chapter 5 gets into rules such as base stats for knights, stats for different horses, merits and flaws. You know how it goes. I will say this book continues the proud trend of vastly understating horses in the case of strength and vastly overstatting them in the terms of stamina. Humans are, in general, much more enduring and resilient than horses, and horses are a lot stronger than people. There's a reason why uh, horses can be ruined simply by stumbling.
1: Yeah, but I, I think the the problem is that that stamina also includes um, resistance to physical damage and stuff like that. And and like an an arrow or a, a, a spear thrust that would kill a mortal man could uh, a, a horse could be be able to survive it. So you have the you have the problem with with a, uh, the the ability of stamina having to cover um, two completely different things like. Well, I think
0: in, in that case, they should just give horses more health. Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's an easy solution, but uh, I, I completely yeah. agree But I, I think, you know, what one thing that I would love for them to do was to get the ho- uh, horse's strength to the correct level and then say that if you're doing a lance charge, then the damage of the lance isn't based on the wielder's strength, it's based on the horse's strength. So that yeah, you would... Yeah. Because realistically, you would have, like, a war horse would have a strength of anywhere from, like, 6 to 8... And then you know, if you do a lance charge with that amount of force behind yeah. it, then you get into how much damage it does. Now it also has a section on women and fighting, which you wanted to get into some more. Yeah,
1: because like the the reasons that they give is, I'm just gonna say that it it's bullshit. Basically, I'm I'm just gonna bring up my notes because uh, to see which which pages I wanted to complain about, uh, and and especially that that the biology of of women. Are so different that they wouldn't be able to use the same kind of armor and and weapons as um, as men, basically, and and that's that's just completely yeah. ridiculous.
0: As someone who's who's um, trained against women, when when I've done longsword, yeah. uh, they're using the same longswords I am, and they're kicking my yeah, ass.
1: Yeah, exactly, and and especially during this time, and and I've 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 never actually worn full plate armor, but I, I worn a bit of, of this and that and and uh, I worn chain mail, I've worn uh, breastplates, I've worn um, whole metal van braces, I've worn uh, modern uh, body armor, I've worn not so modern body armor as well. Uh, like the the problem isn't that that women are built differently. It's it's the way that I, I'd say that that modern body armor is almost a bigger issue than than medieval armor, because uh, the the most common uh, piece of armor, especially in uh, in this time period, is is the the chainmail, uh, which which is basically it's 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 made out of rings, so it's very flexible, so it will adapt. It's figure hugging. Yeah, exactly. It it will adapt to your form and. Uh, there's a guy called uh, Jason Kingsley, uh, who, oh yeah, who has, I love uh, him. Um, he is actually a knight uh, because he is an um, uh, member of the Order of the British Empire, uh, and he has a U- YouTube channel called modern history tv. and and his uh, his last name is Kingsley yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and and he's actually made a a short video about why uh, the chainmail shirt was around for such a long time. And the reason for that is because it's a really useful piece of armor. It might not be the best armor, but it's it's really easy to put on. It's really easy to wear. Uh, you don't, unlike a lot of other uh, kinds of armor, you don't really have to uh, fit it to uh, the, the particular wearer. So, so, for example, when you have, especially in England, they were fond of this, which was basically having uh, arsenals with with communal weapons. So, for example, if yeah. if uh, the the local city had to defend against, I don't know, border reavers or whatever, they would have uh, they would basically have an arsenal full of full of weapons and uh, and armor just to hand out to people. Um, and and there you, you can find medieval uh, documents stating what kind of uh, arms and armor uh, that that each city had to. Or that particular city was supposed to have. Uh, yeah. from, from a historical point of view, it's quite interesting because these these survived way into modern times. So I think it was uh, I think it was in the Tower of London during World War II, where where they were basically going through like, okay, we're we're gonna have to fight a war, uh, like the war. Might be World War One. Don't don't quote me on that. But they, they they were basically going through what they had, and they found the lists, and of course it was like machine guns and uh, SMLE rifles and stuff like that. But then there was also like, uh, 1500 halberds, 1500 crossbows, <laughs> 3000 chainmail shirts, uh, helmets and breastplates, stuff like that, that they still had some of it. were If in the comp-
0: Germans ever, ever invade, we do have the halberds to take yeah, them out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: uh, but, but like, again, a chainmail, you, when you're not using it, you just take that and all of the other chainmails not being used, stuff them in a barrel, uh, Pour in a bunch of, of oil or grease to make sure it doesn't rust rust, and then you can stick it somewhere and you can bring it out a hundred years later, wipe off the excess rust, and you can still wear it. Uh, and yep. and, he, and and chainmail was the was the main uh, piece of, of armor in in 1197, so it wouldn't be a problem at all. Uh, even no. even plate armor, you you have what is called munitions grade armor, which is basically. The kind of stuff that that you would go to an armourer if you are a man at arms or or uh, perhaps a, a, a noble who isn't that well off, and you could basically buy off the rack armour. And of course, yeah,
0: the classic one size fits none, but it's good enough. Yeah,
1: exactly. And and you have all of these um, examples of of people uh, looting the battlefields because again, it, it doesn't fit me perfectly, but it's better than nothing and I could probably have it altered, it, it's, not, it's not a big deal. So, so I'm just no, it really, I'm isn't. really annoyed, uh, especially when they, when they make a point of saying that it's not sexist to point out biological differences between men and women. No.
0: I mean, if, if we're going to point out a, a difference, what, one thing that I've learned doing longsword fencing is the fact that men, on average, have longer arms than women, that's the big thing, because reach becomes really an important yeah. thing. You can talk all about strength and whatever and body, but for me, my big advantage if I'm ever fencing against a woman is that usually I'm taller, I have longer arms, thus I have longer reach. <laughs> and and if, you're, if you're carrying a shield and wearing armor, Reach becomes less of a of a thing. Yeah,
1: exactly. And you can always just make a spear that is slightly longer, and and that's that solves that problem. And and of course, not all men are equally long uh, as as each other as well. Exactly. Um, so so yeah, it's it's just it's just pissed me off because it's it's such a a, a bad excuse, and and I really wanted to, or, or they they really didn't like need to include it. So no I, I mean
0: yeah. I, once again this is this is something for a side quote, but I'll just mention that the the main reason why women weren't uh knights was it was a patriarchal uh, male chauvinist society yeah. that uh, knighthood was so tied in with Christianity as well so you have not only the co- uh, the male dominated culture that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years you also have the male Uh, dominated christianity coming in so women can be very effective fighters they just weren't trained to be fighters because it was thought that they should not and could not be fighters so that's the end of it,
1: basically. Yeah, and but but yeah, it's it's. I, I find that the excuse that the, the authors of the book used is is a really bad one. So uh, especially yeah. considering anyway. that the rest of the book is so well written, it's it's kind of a letdown.
0: Yeah. Uh, one thing that I loved is they uh, have an um, an ability in there called franchise, which shows a really good example of the difference between then and now because franchise basically means that you are going to uh, or you have this idea of your own self-worth um and um it it basically means that you act as someone who's worth something you don't automatically lower your gaze when talking to a superior person and you don't automatically defer everything um A great example of this comes from a book series called 1632. So obviously we're uh, like a couple of of hundred years in the future. But the base idea here is that you have a bunch of modern day Americans who through a cosmic accident is transported back to the time of the 30 years war, specifically the year 1632. And the local peasants, they all think that these uh, Americans must be nobles because they act like nobles, they act with their own self-worth. And, you know, it's the same thing. Like, if we were transported back into the Middle Ages, we weren't going to automatically uh, uh, avert our gaze and bow our heads and speak very different, differentially to uh, someone who was, a, um, who was a noble, because that's not part of who we are. The one thing that annoys me is that it's an ability. I think it should have just been a merit. Like, you have this merit that means yeah. that you yeah. act... Act this way. But otherwise, I think it really illustrates an important point between modern day and the Middle Ages, which is people in the Middle Ages, if you were a peasant, then you were uh, indoctrinated by the culture to act a certain way. And not just because there was this idea that peasants were less worth than. Um, um, nobles, but also as uh, self-preservation, yeah. because if you met a noble who was very arrogant or very cruel, uh, they might, if if they thought you were being uppity, they might have you punished. They might have you flogged.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and the worst that could happen is that if if this is not your liege lord who punishes you, the worst that could happen is that your leech lords will demand. Uh, payment from the other noble for for ruining his peasant so it's you, yeah. you don't really have the the protection of society uh, against or, or working working for you so, so yeah it, it's i i like that i also like the idea of, of perhaps making it a background um it's yeah it's it's an interesting idea actually uh wh- i when when speaking of of uh, Abilities. I, I like that uh, they included heraldry because, of course, yeah. her- heraldry is uh, really important. And, and I we touched upon it briefly in the uh, in the intro that that you wouldn't really be wearing uh, two different uh, coats of arms, for example. And and wh- what I like about heraldry is that how incredibly nerdy it can be uh, because oh, yes. they're. they're <laughs> There's there's a thing called canting arms, and it's it's basically the idea that uh, because your your coat of arms is is supposed to represent you, uh, and so of course a lot of people would want uh, lions or or a cross or or like these cool things because they show that you're a lion or that you're a warrior of God. But then we have the canting arms that that kind of described. Uh, it's it, it's it's basically visual puns, uh, and there's there's yeah. also a pun that goes that that um, heralds don't pun; they can't uh, because they they use the vi- the visual puns in in the counting can- arms instead. So so mm. for example, you have and it goes on even even in modern times. So you have the princess Beatrice, who is the Duchess of York, I think she is as well, uh, and. Her name is B A Trees, uh, which means that in her coat of arms, among all of the other things, she has uh, three bees, a, 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 a thrice of bees, B A thrice. <laughs> so, so it's it ridiculously silly and and basic visual puns, but but you can you can do so much with it, and and a perfect example of just how much you can do with with just heraldry. Is uh, in the Tara Pratchett book, Feet of Clay, because it, it. I was just thinking yeah, about that book it, because it it basically it's uh, it, it's a murder. Well, it's an attempted murder mystery, basically revolving uh, where where most of the clues revolve around uh, heraldry. So, for example, you have a poisson, which means a fish, but it could also be a poison. So you have you have like this, and th- again, this is this is things that that you would do with with historical he- heraldry as well uh like the uh berlin the city of berlin has a bear in it like in berlin uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and there's a city in sweden called which if you translate it directly it means a uh, eagle shield bay and so in their city coat of arms they have an eagle shield and wavy lines that's supposed to be the way the bay so uh, yeah you, you can have a lot of things you, you can do a lot of fun things with heraldry and I'm thinking especially especially if you're going back to your conspiracy thing with the Templars you can you can hide conspiracies oh, yeah. in in, uh, in the heraldry of of knights uh kind of in the same way that people claim that there are um, hidden messages in the dollar one dollar bill and stuff like that so you could you could do the same with with heraldry and perhaps uh the uh perhaps the the play characters find an an ancient shield uh just uh, emblazoned with with this really complicated her- uh, heraldic device and it turns out that there there's a bunch of clues in it for example yeah um, but yeah more more her- yeah. heraldry to the people because it's just oh yeah. <laughs> uh
0: damn we've ranted on for quite a long time um i think we should just move on to the appendix because otherwise this is just going to yeah. be an insanely long yeah. episode we end with an appendix that's your standard templates uh for for starting characters and you have some npcs i don't really have anything to say here because i think you know people know what this is all about are there anything here that you really w- just want to mention before we we sign no, off No,
1: well I, I i do think that the the example characters then or the npcs rather that they have found them quite interesting. Uh, for example, you have a Google knight, uh, the Google the of Flanders. Uh, you have uh, one of my favorite, I think, is, is Julius Immortal Swordmaker who is... Um, yeah, I liked him as yeah, a lot and, as well. And you have one character I don't think he actually uh, stated right out but but he's uh, he's an Iberian K-knight and he's described as, as having Darker complexions than than canines yeah. usually have. So, oh, could he be an asimite? I don't know. Uh, but but yeah, they, they had some good uh, example or NPCs that that were actually interesting and not just like these ridiculous stereotypes or or complete monsters that you couldn't really
0: yeah. All right. So this t- book, in terms of history and game resources, when it comes to history, I have very little to put my finger on. There are some very minor things we've already mentioned. This uh, most of it is covered by their own disclaimer. Yeah. Uh, so so generally, history-wise, you know, this gives a lot of really good history.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. There 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 are some minor things that we've touched upon that, that's just a bit weird and and that or, or rather that he could also expand on. I would say, but but yeah. overall, it's um, I, I like it. Yeah, as a game
0: resource, I think this is a must-have. The order of the bitter ashes is, as we've mentioned, really mm-hmm. funky. Um, but I, I, you know, I don't see them being worthy of their own source books, So this was the book to put them in. Um, Otherwise, you know, it adds a lot of interesting options and ideas for a Dark Ages game. There's a lot of, of um, fun stuff uh, rules-wise that you can use. So I think that you know this is a good get for anyone, uh, no matter what edition of uh, of Dark Ages you're playing.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Or or at least if if you want to play a game that that is centered around uh, chivalry and um, and and knights and and playing vampire knights or ghoul knights or whatever, then then it's a really must-have. Uh, especially since and and we mentioned it as well, it it gives you so many ideas on how to solve the practical problems of of being a k knight a k knight. Um, uh, <laughs> so so it, it it has a lot of good things to to use and it's it's really useful. Uh, just, just ignore the pages of uh, when when they talk about uh, women not being able to wear armor and shit like that. So, but but <laughs> yeah. except for that, yeah, it's it's a really good resource.
0: Yeah. So if we follow the release schedule, then the next book that we were supposed to be covering would be Blood and Silk. However, that's um, more of a source book for Kindred of the East rather than a source book for Dark Ages. And the problem is that neither of us are that knowledgeable about Kindred of the East. So we're going to be looking at that at another point, along with the first Werewolf the Dark Ages book, which was once again a source book for Werewolf rather than a source book for the Dark Ages line. So the next book that we will be looking at is going to be Wind from the East, which is the Mongol source book. So that's going to be interesting.
1: Peter, do you have any last comments before we sign off? Uh, no, just just the usual to to thank all our listeners and and uh, join our Facebook and tell your friends and 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 especially big thanks to to our patrons.
0: Yeah, uh, thank you so much for supporting this channel. Um, and it is then goodbye from me, Jacob, and from me, Peter. Farewell, and see you next time.
1: Bye.